0: I did uh, during the recent lockdown was tidy up my pantry. You know, that sort of thing you do when you're thinking, what else can I do? Uh, And among other things, was amazed how many plastic water bottles I still had. And I recall that I spent all of my uh, last trips in India and the Middle East and Europe inseparable from one thing, my water bottle. Uh, And I even had a a wrist loop uh, to to carry it, so indispensable in temperatures that were uh, so often uh, up in the high 30s and even into the 40s. And uh, it all seems a very long time ago now, but I was always very chuffed if I actually managed to get my water bottle home again uh, without it being confiscated at uh, any of the airport security checkpoints. You'll probably remember as you try and make sure that you've emptied it out and all, all the rigmarole. A small thing, perhaps, but I was determined not to add to the quantity of plastic bottles that I saw scattered around the countries uh, that I was in by buying yet more. So I was determined to make my one bottle uh, last all the way round. A bottle of water. Who could forget the recent pictures we've seen on our TV screens of refugees trying to escape Afghanistan. Uh, clutching onto their few possessions and we saw some of those um, American and other soldiers giving desperate children and babies a drink from a water bottle. Our mothers relieved to be offered precious water for their children and their families. Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose their reward. There we saw and see human nature at its best. But as we heard our Bible readings today, I think they show us also that human nature hasn't changed over the millennia one iota. It seems like nothing's uh, changed for the disciples in our gospel reading. You'll recall in our last few weeks' readings from Mark's gospel that Jesus' uh, disciples have been having some up and down experiences with Jesus the dizzy heights of the transfiguration and of the literal heights of Caesarea Philippi and Peter's great declaration of faith in Jesus the Messiah. But then the lows of coming down off the mountain, the disciples failing to heal a child, and then the disciples being caught out arguing about who is the greatest. Now they compound it by trying to stop someone who's clearly having success in healing in Jesus' name, but he isn't one of them. Perhaps we could say they're trying to protect Jesus' brand name, but it seems pretty clear actually that they're threatened by someone else's success and they're just plain jealous. They're very quick to assume that if someone is not with us, not for us, then they must be against us. And sadly, they've completely lost sight of what's actually really important is that people are finding healing rather than fighting about who's going to take the credit for it. What is more important? So Jesus himself tries to broaden their vision to turn it round the other way. Whoever is not against us is for us. Don't go looking for enemies when there aren't any rather rejoice in the good wherever you find it even if it comes from an unexpected source don't knock it I was <clears throat> reflecting on this the other night um, Thursday evening I think it was when we saw that heartfelt vigil of the Timaru uh, community gathering to mourn the tragic loss of the three little girls from South Africa and in that, seemingly spontaneous gathering of so many uh, people of goodwill, people of faith, people just coming together, wanting to be together to express loss and grief. I was moved uh, by our own Reverend Alan Cummins, um, known to many of us here, and we uh, too recall Alan's parents who were uh, parishioners here. I thought Alan was able to put into words those sort of half-formed feelings of so many And speaking on behalf of the father, Graham, and the family, Alan acknowledged their Christian faith, and in an amazing generosity of spirit, acknowledged too how the children's mother, Lauren, was too a victim in this situation. So rather than fomenting division or hatred, there was a fellow feeling with all those who grieve and all those who have lost so much in the loss of those innocent young lives. And we need to be praying for all in that family, both here and uh, back in South Africa and in the Temeru community after so many losses there recently. So too, may we honour uh, any small acts of graciousness and generosity which we hear and see those uh, random acts of kindness, the kindness of strangers, sometimes called, that cup of cold water, wherever it's given. In our current COVID situation in Auckland, where it would be so easy to blame or to polarise, I'm proud of our political and health leaders who take the time to say thank you, to thank communities, being tested, for fronting up when they're unwell, for being vaccinated, because those are gestures that build solidarity and build community. And I think one of the most appealing things uh, about some of today's political and religious leaders is when we hear of those spontaneous gestures, those little off-the-record moments um, that do show care and respect for those who might otherwise go unnoticed or on the margins, or even worse, be slandered or denigrated. One um, such religious figure well known for such spontaneous off-the-record gestures is Pope Francis. And I was uh, reading that recently Pope Francis sent 15,000 ice creams to prisoners in Rome to help them cool down during what has been one of the hottest summers Uh, on record in Italy, and I recall being in Rome in a heat wave, it's not pleasant, Um, and I just love that gelato touch uh, from the Pope. But also, um, earlier in June, about 20 inmates from one of the local prisons met the Pope before joining him on a visit to the Vatican museums. He wanted them to see the beauty uh, that perhaps we might have ventured to see as tourists in our time. And then the Vatican also has been taking small groups of homeless people to the sea or to the lake for an afternoon of relaxation and dinner in a pizzeria. They also provided free COVID tests and vaccinations to Rome's homeless and poor. Now, there's something very Italian about all that, which I think is just lovely. But note also the respect and the dignity shown just like Jesus' cup of cold water given in Christ's name. I was reading uh, recently Pope Francis' address to the Congress of the USA, um, a body more known for its divisions perhaps than its unity, just as so often our own parliament is. But he said to them, protect the image and likeness fashioned by God on every human face. And in speaking of those who are are currently refugees, view them as persons, seeing their faces, listening to their stories, trying to respond as best we can to their situation. And it was really encouraging to see the initiative of the Uniting Canterbury Women Group, which was founded after the mosque attacks here, uh, where Christian and Muslim and other uh, women of goodwill Um, have got together over recent times and this particular initiative was to make welcome packs for Afghan refugees now coming to um, Aotearoa and it was great to see the St Andrews pupils too were involved um, in this. So a lovely way and we need of course to keep praying I think particularly for um, Afghan women judges who are now extremely vulnerable Pope Francis said this, and I think they're um, challenging words, and I think they would have challenged Jesus' disciples who were so busy sorting everybody out into who were the goodies and who were the baddies. We must especially guard against a simplistic reductionism which sees only good or evil, or if you will, the righteous and the sinners. For the contemporary world with its open wounds which affects so many of our brothers and sisters – demands that we confront every form of polarisation which would divide us up into two camps. Well, I wonder then what Pope Francis would make of Jesus' statements about cutting off your hand or foot or eye if they're a stumbling block to you entering into the kingdom of God. And uh, I was reading, sadly, that um, the Taliban are talking about reinstituting Uh, some of those punishments as a deterrent. And, of course, it can be fundamentalism within any religion which goes to such extremes. But they seem to us some of the most black and white of Jesus' teachings, don't they? Although we need to hear that Jesus' graphic images were part of what was called prophetic hyperbole, uh, exaggeration, metaphors that were designed to grab people's attention to grab people by the scruff of the neck and shock them into paying heed and not to be acted out literally. Two, those references to hell and the burning fire were actually references to the rubbish tip of Jerusalem uh, in the valley of Hinnom, which came to be called Gehenna. And that was a very dramatic imagery of a slow burning fire, if you like, uh, on the rubbish heap that kept burning. And two, a sad warning of, um, as Jesus so often gave later in his ministry, that Jerusalem itself would be destroyed as it was in AD 70. But the danger is that we hear those stark warnings from Jesus and we can become obsessed with living perfectly, never putting a foot wrong, as it were because we know, of course, we can but fail, and we know that we would arrive in heaven uh, without limbs or eyes and certainly uh, without our tongues. So our discipleship can end up being self-absorbed and overly hard on ourselves, still focused on comparing ourselves favorably or unfavorably with others. How much more life-giving for our discipleship to focus positively on giving another a cup of cold water. It seems more achievable for a start, doesn't it? Just a cup of cold water. But it also puts our focus outwards onto a world that is thirsty for water and for healing and for acts of generosity and grace. And it helps us to be generous not only with others, but also with ourselves. Do the good we can do. Don't be paralysed by not getting it perfect. Perhaps the font here in our midst, the font reminds us that our baptism, our membership of Christ's family, is a gift of pure grace, and that we too are to be vehicles of God's grace and gracious love to one another, and to all who need to experience it in our world. That seems to be the picture we get from our epistle reading, uh, the epistle of James. We think James may well have been one of the first leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and we get a picture of a community of Christians who gather to pray, to sing songs of praise, to pray for the sick, to anoint with oil, to confess their sins, to find forgiveness, to encourage one another back on the path when we're struggling, and to be real and honest together. And yes, we acknowledge, as uh, James did in that epistle, we don't always get it right. But this is who we commit to be and what we commit to live out together. And we always start together again. Our gospel ended with a pithy little epigram, which almost seems a bit contradictory. Have salt in yourselves, be salty Christians, and be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves. Make sure you're being who God has called you to be, bringing flavor and zest to the world around you preserving it from going off. But just in case you're ever inclined to overdo that zeal, work also at the same time to be at peace with one another, to get on with each other, to make allowances for each other, to live with grace and generosity for each other, to value each other, to affirm what is good, whatever source it comes from. Another translation puts it like this, maintain peacefully your own distinctive character and service. Or as Pope Francis put it as he spoke to Congress, we must resolve to support one another with respect for our differences and our convictions of conscience, but we must move forward together as one in a renewed spirit of solidarity, cooperating generously for the common good of our world. So as we gather together again, may it be so among us as we seek to be the body of Christ together for God's glory. Amen.